greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And on this week's episode of the podcast, we're going to have another solo episode. My co-host is still currently under the weather right now and uh, will hopefully be joining me um, for next week's episode. So bear with me. Um, We are going to cover the first two episodes of HBO's The Outsider. And I know that when this podcast drops, the third episode will be available Uh, or will have released, Um, but we will be only kind of reviewing them about a week behind uh, just because of how our schedule for recording works and when we can get the episodes watched. Uh, So hopefully if you're sticking along and watching it with us, uh, you know, you can bear with us on kind of the lag behind uh, when we release our reviews. Or if you're waiting until all the episodes drop and you're binging it, then you can kind of listen after the fact or in between. Um, and we will also be covering Gags the Clown, which is a, an indie, well, yeah, I mean, it's an independent found footage horror film uh, that was done out, I believe, in Green Bay, and it was uh, very interesting, so I'm excited to talk about that. Um, but I think I'm going to go ahead and talk about the um, first two episodes of The Outsider. So if you're not familiar with The Outsider. It is a novel um, written by Stephen King. It was released about probably, I think, two years ago, um, dealing with kind of this um, murder mystery with a supernatural touch to it. Um, I very much enjoyed the book. I didn't quite like the ending, um, but I also did like how the book kind of expanded on um, uh, more of Stephen King's universe, because a lot of his books are connected or happen within the same world. And this particular book connects with um, kind of his Mr. Mercedes, Finders Keepers, um Oh, I'm, I'm for end of watch um, book series with um, with Holly Gibney and I'm um, the name of the detective is escaping me right now. But it, it does take a character from from that series of books and interjects them into this book. And one thing I did read about this um, earlier this week was that um They are using Holly's character for the show, but it is not 
um, the same actor slash character from the Mr. Mercedes TV show, which I feel is like a little bit of a missed opportunity. I, I read that the the EPs and the directors and stuff like they um, they wanted to they hadn't read those books and they hadn't watched those shows. So they didn't really want to use that character in that way. Like they didn't want to bring that actress over to their show. Um, they wanted to keep it more, uh, separated. And so they asked, you know, Stephen King, if they could still use the character, but not have it connect. And, uh, they kind of wanted to change the name of the character. And Stephen King said, no, it's, it is Holly Gibney, um, you can do whatever you want with her, but you are keeping that character the same. So uh, I do appreciate that. Um, as of the first two episodes, of course, Holly's character has not entered into it. And I, my guess is she'll enter in maybe more around episode four, or episode five, about halfway through the season, depending on how um, they're breaking up the book into these episodes. And I think they've done a good job so far with these first two. So um, kind of the basic premise, at least for the first episode and kind of the overall story is when the body of an 11 year old boy is found in the Georgia woods, Detective Ralph Anderson launches an investigation into the gruesome murder. Eyewitnesses and physical evidence point to local teacher and baseball coach Terry Maitland. And uh, this really I think one of the reasons why I really enjoyed the first two episodes uh, and I think I'm going to enjoy the series overall is they have cast this show pretty much perfectly. Now, it has been a while since I've read the book, so I don't necessarily remember what I had envisioned in my mind other than, like, Holly's character, um, since I had already read, you know, those three previous books. Um, but I, I didn't know... I can't remember exactly how I em envisioned Ralph or Terry or... Uh, Howie or his wife, you know, and all the all the characters basically from the book. I don't quite remember how I pictured them in my head, but I will say that they went with a very strong cast for for this show. And I, again, I think that this is what really makes the show captivating. Um, I was watching the second episode. I, I took a little bit of time between watching the first and the second and um, you know, when I have when I'm watching hour long shows, uh, I have to really kind of be invested, um, especially if I'm investing the time into watching it. Uh, it's really hard for me to binge watch shows that are, are like out straight hour long, like 60 minute, no commercial breaks um, shows anymore, because it's just like there's so much out there. There's so many different streaming platforms, so much content. Uh, it's very much the same with podcasts. I mean, I again, I know we're a small podcast, but, um, you know, we're trying to do something that makes us a little bit different and we need to be making sure we're engaging our audience in that way. And so a lot of these shows nowadays really have to do the same thing. Um, so having Ben Mendelsohn as Ralph, uh, Jason Bateman as Terry right there, you're, you're at a win. And, uh, and I also have to say these first two episodes directed by Jason Bateman is absolutely stunning. Um, I don't know if kind of his first credit, I could look this up, but it's not as big of a deal. I think his first kind of credits for directing were on Ozark. And, uh, so I've already been kind of familiar with his style and where he, his eye, you know, his eye for, for the scene and, and the story. And I only found out after the fact that he directed these first two episodes of the outsider. So, 
uh, it also goes to why I think I liked it a lot um, is that his unique style and vision uh, really kind of captured both the book and his own creative mind. And I think it did such a wonderful job. Also, Jason Bateman has within the past decade become one of my absolute favorite uh, actors. I wasn't ever really kind of familiar with a lot of his earlier work other than like Teen Wolf 2. Um, but over the years, especially when I started getting into Arrested Development, um, yeah, he had his little cameo in Dodgeball. Uh, then I started seeing him in kind of some more bigger movies. Uh, you know, he was in Identity Theft, and then he also was, what's that, The Kingdom he was in that? Um, and then Ozark kind of came out and just really proved to me that he can do both the comedic side of things and doing the serious side of things. And so if Jason Bateman is in a project, I'm probably going to be watching it just because I've really grown to appreciate his acting style, um, how he brings his characters alive. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, his directing style. So, um, I know this is kind of like a lot of filler and not really talking about the episode and more about kind of the behind the scenes thing. But uh, you essentially have the opening of the episode. They discover the body. Um, and then it's really kind of an interesting way of the sequence of events. So they kind of jumble it up a little bit. And if I kind of remember correctly, the book does this a little bit, too. And so you have the body being found um, and then a couple of days passing and then you've got the, the basically the, the baseball game going on where Terry's coaching on his team. And as like the cops are arriving and everything, you're getting flashbacks to every bit of the sequence of events that leads up to his arrest. And it's done very well. It's it's not confusing in any way. Um, I will say they get very gruesome with the body of, of the boy and um I don't know if that's kind of how the overall season's going to be because I was recommending this to my mom and I know my mom can do a certain level of gruesome, but then there's going to be a point where she can't do it any further. And this might do it. Um, but from what I saw with episode two, uh, subsequently, pardon my, my not being able to speak, um, it, it, it toned it down a little bit more. There's still a little bit more gruesomeness, but not not nearly as bad as what you get in this first episode. Also, the first episode title is Fish in a Barrel because everything, the evidence, the, the van, uh, DNA, prints, uh, camera footage, eyewitnesses, everything points at Terry being the murderer. And uh, spoilers, possibly in this episode or in this review, um, you know, it's kind of a given when we're talking about uh, an episode of a TV show. And especially when we go on to the next episode, because those events directly impact the next episode. Um, but we are also given evidence that Terry was actually in another city, like 60 miles away at the same time of the murder. Um, so there is definitely something kind of supernatural going on. Now it's more, um, down to earth in the first episode. Uh, it doesn't, I, I saw a review kind of saying like, it doesn't, um, go straight out and talk about its boogeyman. It, it builds its characters up. And that's very much what this, this episode is, is it is establishing Ralph 
It's establishing Terry, establishing the world that these characters are living in and the impact that this child's death has on the town and the impression that it has um, on Terry and on his family received by everybody. And and Ralph, and, and this is one of the reasons why I think Ben Mendelsohn was perfect for it, is Ralph is a very conflicted character. He is a straight-shooting detective, but also dealing with his own personal grief uh, with the death of his son. And so when it deals with a child's death, especially one who was on Terry's Little League team, and when his son was alive, his son was on Terry's team as well. And so there's kind of this personal thing of, like, did you touch my son? And um, this actually culminates in one of the best scenes I think I've seen in television history. Just basic dialogue inner uh, character interaction uh, in episode two, which I'll talk about when we get into that. Um, and so you also have Terry played by Jason Bateman, who is just kind of like your normal English teacher, uh, baseball coach, family guy, you know, two daughters, loving wife. And you don't get any understanding of why all of a sudden he would randomly act out. And this is why Ralph is thinking that he's more of maybe a serial child molester or killer uh, and just has taken periods of time in between uh, victims. And um, so it seems like a very open shut case. But when you get to the end of the episode, you're realizing, OK, there's something more going on. Um now, I know that's kind of very light on the synopsis, and, and I'll probably be light on the synopsis for the second episode, um, just because it was kind of a last-minute decision to review these two episodes and decide that from week to week we're going to cover each one. I had also watched it, like, earlier in the week, so it's escaped me a little bit, kind of the point-to-point details. Um, but overall, I was very captivated by it. Uh, I loved pretty much every second of it. I don't... I feel like I have some criticisms of the episode, but I can't quite um, suss out in my mind what they are. So I want to hesitate giving this a five out of five. Um, so I'm going to land on a four point five because I'm sure that there were some moments that bugged me. Maybe a little bit of the even though I liked how they uh, did the sequence of events where they kind of intermixed it and not did everything chronologically maybe the episode might flow a little bit better or for someone who's not familiar with the book, the episode might work better if it happens in chronological order. Um, so I'll get, I'll, I'll take off half a point for that. Um, but it's definitely considering how disappointed I was in Watchmen, um, which I might get flack for, um, saying this on the podcast. I know I've put it out on Twitter and I had some people agree with me and some people disagree. And I know like a lot of people really liked Watchmen, but Watchmen I found to be very bloviated, uh, self-important, disregarding its roots, disregarding, uh, its fans, uh, to push a personal agenda. And it, just got too big for its own shoes. Um, I liked some of the episodes. Uh, I liked some of the characters that were introduced, but the overall story just wasn't captivating. Uh, I think it, it had tried to remake Alan Moore's original story into something and hide it underneath the guise of it being, well, Moore's original comic was social commentary when, yeah, it was, but it wasn't to an extent. 
Um, so I, I really was disappointed in Watchmen. I wanted to like it so much. I love both the graphic novel and Zack Snyder's adaption. Of course, this isn't a review about Watchmen, but I was very disappointed in it. So when Outsider was announced and like I saw the cast, uh, I was a little kind of hesitant to see how I was going to like it. I didn't know if something similar was going to happen where they were going to take this adaptation and do whatever they want. Now, it's a little bit different in the sense of with Watchmen, they were doing a sequel and they were telling their own story, whereas this is an adaptation directly of the novel. So there's less leeway for them to take things out of context or to do things that might, you know, upset me on the back end. So uh, I was very pleased with this. I see it's getting high scores on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, and I think it deserves those scores. Um, I think it is going to be a very captivating series. I don't know if I want it to continue after season one, much like Watchmen. Like, even if I had really liked Watchmen, I don't think I would have wanted a second season. And it definitely when I got to the end of it, I didn't feel like it needed a second season. Um, whereas with The Outsider, since it is an adaptation of a novel, uh, I feel like they're going to cover the entire story this season based on their little kind of this season on The Outsider preview that they did at the end of episode two. Um, that I don't know if I want a second season. I think I might want this to be a limited series um, because I feel like maybe when you get to the end of it, it's going to be uh, taking things like out of context. It's going to be stretching itself too far. It's going to try to do other things that might just be outside of the context of, of the book. Um, and so I hope that's not the case, but uh, I, I want it to be successful if they do a season two um I'll probably watch it, but it will be kind of on a hesitant basis. Um, so 4.5 out of 5 on the first episode. And now we're going to move into the second episode, which the title of this one is Roanoke. And so the premise of this episode is Ralph admits to being baffled by conflicting physical evidence. An unexpected tragedy throws the investigation into a tailspin. Glory tries to soothe her daughter, Jessa, who says she's being visited by a strange man in her room at night. So here we're really kind of seeing the fallout of everything that happens in episode one with the public arresting of Terry, uh, with them, you know, bringing the charges. The mother of the boy um, ended up dying, I believe, by suicide. I I can't quite remember. Um, And then her son and uh, the father are, you know, now pricing out two coffins, one for the younger brother and for the wife. Um, And you kind of see this taking an impact on the son and on the father as well. And as I mentioned, this is where we get one of the best scenes of character work, I think, in television history is when Ralph goes to visit Terry at prison or at the jail, county jail, whatever it is. Um, and unadvised, you know, by both the DA and and uh, Terry's lawyer, um, they are sitting down and having a conversation. And so Ralph is asking him a few questions. Terry's answering them. Finally, as Ralph is getting up to leave, Terry stops and says, you know, you asked, did I touch your son? And then he tells this very deep, personal, emotional story about how uh, Ralph's son was not 
was small for his age and would always strike out. And all the kids on the team would uh, call him the whiffer. And, uh, you know, and he would ask them to stop, but they wouldn't because they're, you know, 11, 12 year old kids. They're, they can be cruel. And so then he ends up teaching um, Ralph's son how to bunt. And every time he went up the bat after that, he bunted and he would get on the base. And then they uh, they came up with a new nickname for him. And it was this very deep personal story. So then he ends the in the story with you asked, did I touch your son? And he says, I really hope I did. And of course, not within the context of did he molest the child or anything like that, but that he uh, raised his the the kid up from you know maybe a moment of despair and that he brought a sense of uh pride in him for you know now going from the worst player on the team to an admired uh member of the team and the way that jason bateman delivers that monologue is just so emotional and so um engrossing so i i have to really really appreciate the character work in here. And again, Jason Bateman's directing this episode as well. And he just caught it perfectly. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew the message he wanted to present, uh, with that monologue. And it was just fantastic. Um, so finally, as kind of more of the sequence of events are happening, Terry's getting ready to go, um, to court to kind of get his, um, you know, bail hearing or, or whatever. And um, as they're walking up to uh, the courthouse, uh, someone crosses the police barrier, starts shooting, takes out two of the uh, deputies, uh, wounds Ralph's partner, pregnant partner, and shoots Terry in the neck uh, before being taken out by Ralph. And it is then revealed that it is the son or the brother of the child that uh, was murdered. And so, again, this is setting off a, a chain of events. Terry does die, which if you're not familiar with the book, I mean, it happens very on in the book. Um, you know, it's it's Jason Bateman's a busy actor right now. Um, heck, even director um, Ozark's coming up. So, I mean, I knew he wasn't going to be in probably the show for a long period of time. I knew it was only a matter of I mean, episodes uh, before he would meet his demise, but uh, we are getting more uh, hints of what's actually going on. We do see at the scene of the crime, a man with a very distorted face in a green hoodie uh, who kind of watches the ensuing chaos and um, then walks away. We see him at another time later on when the father of the murdered boy and now his murdered son and dead wife uh, decides to commit suicide. And as he uh, hangs himself and ends up breaking through his own window, uh, a jogger's walking or running by and she's, you know, yelling, call 911. We do see the same figure then walking away from that area as well, kind of as like a harbinger of doom in a sense. Um, now, I know what this means, um, I'm not going to talk about it because that would be uh, big spoilers for uh, the entire season. Um, but I did like them interjecting that there. If you've read the book, you know who this is. You know what their intent is. Um, but also we're now getting more 
of Ralph being um, kind of acting on his own. He is no longer convinced necessarily that Terry did it. Um, now, the evidence can't be reconciled, per se, but as as uh, Terry was dying, Terry is telling him, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. His dying declaration was he didn't do it. And I, I believe at that moment, Ralph is truly believing Terry didn't. And in fact, it also caused a moment of contention with Glory uh, Maitland, Terry's wife, when he is, goes to visit her and um, to kind of follow more of a lead or try to figure out what the heck is going on. How did this happen? Who murdered this young boy? And uh, she even says, you know, his last words were to you. He didn't do it. They weren't to me. They were to you. And I think that's another small, powerful moment in this episode. Um, and again, this is when we're starting to get more kind of an idea of what's actually happening. Ralph is tracking down kind of the history of the van that transported the body. Um, they found that it was in Dayton while uh, the Maitlands were in Dayton and that something happened while they were in Dayton where um, Terry had gone to visit his uh, father in a, in a home and he had received a cut that he had gotten from a male nurse. And this was um, stuff that was relayed by the daughter because the wife couldn't remember and she's in kind of an emotional state. Um, but this gives Ralph something to kind of build off on to try to run down. And um, the episode ends with uh, a farmhouse and, and a barn and a young boy kind of dragging some milk uh, jugs into the barn. And he sees the pile of clothes that, quote unquote, Terry was wearing when he murdered uh, the young boy. And that's kind of where the episode ends. And uh, so then we'll pick up with, of course, this week's episode. Um, we'll pick that up on next week uh, on the on the podcast. Uh, but this episode, I think, um, in all honesty, is probably a five out of five for me. I, I didn't have any moment of boredom. I was captivated. Uh, in fact, the, the sequence that they shot of of um, Terry's shooting, they did it twice and they did it from two perspectives. And I really appreciated that, that perspective. Um, even though it was kind of a rehash of the same scene, it, it took you, it showed everything from a different angle and it was, it was very impressive. And that's where it kind of gets a little bit gruesome in this episode. Um, as there's a little bit of blood. Um, and so if you're a little bit squeamish, you know, maybe stay away a little bit from that scene or walk kind of out of the room at that scene. Uh, but I was very impressed with these first two episodes. Uh, I'm very excited for the rest of the season. It's going to be kind of hard now to wait kind of week to week as these episodes release. But uh, at, at the same time, that's going to be good for my consumption cycle because of how I, I can watch programs. And um, again, this one was like an hour long episode. And I think I checked the time once and I was like, oh, man, I've only got 10 minutes left in this episode. And it wasn't out of boredom. It was more like, OK, I got some stuff I got to get done. How much more time do I have left in this episode? So, yeah, this one, I think, was a five out of five for me. Um, there was stuff, obviously, I didn't cover about certain beats of the episode, but I felt like those were like kind of like less important. Um, but very impressed with these first two episodes. Can't wait to see what they do with the other 
uh, eight episodes. So recommend it. Uh, if you have HBO, that's where you can watch it. If you have the HBO channel on Amazon or HBO go, you can stream it that way. Um, I, I, if you're not watching it, I think you're missing out, especially if you're kind of a fan of murder mysteries, um, with a, a little hint of supernatural, uh, this overall for the, the book itself doesn't go completely supernatural. I mean, it, it does, but it, it still kind of keeps it grounded in a, in a world of realism. So I definitely recommend this, uh, especially if you're a fan of Stephen King, this has been a very good adaptation and sometimes it's hit or miss with adaptations of his work. So, all right. Now with that done, I'm going to have a more easier review to do uh, on Gags the Clown. So I'm going to go ahead and play the trailer for you guys. God, are kidding me. Get all of this on camera. But earlier this week, we had an unwanted visitor. That's right. A clown. The clown was first spotted one week ago. Images of a mysterious person in a dingy clown suit with black balloons. What can either be seen as an attempt at entertaining citizens or terrorizing them. While some find it to be harmless, good-natured fun, others are troubled. You know he's up to no good. Those original gags photos are just creepy. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah, I was just chased up the stairs to my apartment by a clown. That clown's gonna pop like one of those black balloons. Crazy dude, he's been hunting gags all night. Someone with the intent of killing him? That's a one in a million exclusive. That's worldwide news. This is bigger than we thought. And the feed is cut. Thank God, something exciting to report on in this city. There's a clown in town. He's waiting around. He's waiting around for you. Yeah, there's a clown downtown. He's hanging around. He's hanging around for you. <laughs> this whole damn city is clown crazy. <laughs> All right, so Gags the Clown is a 2018 found footage independent horror film. Um, And the basic premise of it is an unidentified man in Green Bay, Wisconsin, has captured worldwide attention for roaming the streets dressed as a clown. Many write it off as a harmless prank. Others aren't so sure. When a group of friends cross paths with the clown everyone calls Gags, his true intentions are revealed. So... This is a found footage film, and um, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast in the past or not, but I love found footage horror films. And even ones that are even kind of very low budget, um, I can still really tolerate. I, I just really like them because they give you kind of this sense of realism. Now, I know a lot of people dislike them in the sense of that they... Uh, they find them cheap. They find them shaky cam. They, they waste all their time in exposition and then they don't really start, uh, kicking into third gear until like the last 10 minutes, which is a valid criticism. It's a criticism I've had of some that I've watched, but I don't think I will ever not watch a found footage horror film unless I can really tell that the quality is extremely low. Um, now this was one that I originally, uh, had caught on and went on prime really quick. And then it came off prime really quick. And I was like, Oh man, I missed it. Cause I was, I was going to sleep to it. As some people know, I, I go to sleep to horror films. I trust me. I'm, I'm not that weird, but I am a little weird. Um, 
And so I kind of had to wait. And then finally it went back up on Prime. And I was like, okay, now I'm going to watch this. I'm going to cover this on the podcast. So you have kind of uh, four different sets of characters. You have the news crew. You have the high schoolers. You have the cops and you have the podcasters. Now, there's interjections of different characters or different sequences um, that are kind of outside the main narrative. But uh, those are your kind of main focus points. And this is all taking place at one night. Um, you have the news crew who's kind of reporting on on gags and their gags watch. And she's um, not necessarily the nicest um, reporter, Heather. Uh, she's kind of wants to make her name, but is being stuck, uh, doing this type of work and, and she's not particularly a fan of doing it, but who has this drive and is willing to, you know, go all the way to get it there. Um, and then you have, um, Chrissy Reynard, who's the, um, officer and she's the stepmother of one of the teenagers, uh, Sarah, and, uh, they are going from kind of place to place throughout the town, uh, dealing with kind of these, these random calls. Uh, then you have Charles Wright, who is the like ultra far right leaning, uh, podcaster, uh, you know, pro second amendment, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with being pro second amendment. Um, but he is kind of fanatical and is blaming the cops and saying that it's the cops fault that this has not been handled. And, uh, eventually is to saying like, uh, that he will, if he gets enough likes and shares on, on his podcast, that he will go out and hunt down gags. Um, then you have Sarah and her friends, uh, Chris and, uh, and her, her boyfriend, um, Tyler, who are going around, uh, you know, partying. Uh, they're supposed to be high schoolers. Um, and Chris is kind of dressed up like gags to go around and prank people. Um, so as kind of the night progresses, there's these just series of events. And, and one best way that I can um, say that this movie is like is if you've seen the found footage film The Bay, where there's a lot of ancillary events that interu- end up interconnecting. Um, but they hit point to point to point. Like it, it does have a beginning, middle and end with these interjections of kind of these ancillary characters and, and events as we're, as the night's progressing, we're seeing people being affected by gags balloons that they're these black balloons. And if they pop, they have this kind of uh, powder in them. Uh, a young girl at one point was like telling her mom it's cocaine, but it wasn't cocaine. And this is where it does kind of lose me a little bit later on in the film. And I think we'll talk uh, in a spoiler section about that. Um, but uh, as, as these things are going on, anyone that's kind of hit with the balloon is getting kind of sick and they start acting a little odd. Um, and in fact, at one point that they, they, uh, the cops find out is that everyone that had been taken to the hospital for treatment um, that had been exposed to this powder end up disappearing. And uh, they, in fact, even come across, as we see from the very beginning of the film, there's this trio of, uh, of people. Um, there's, they've been partying or something. They've gone to some type of event. Um, but one of them has been covered in this powder. And uh, they are uh, you know, making fun of him. And as they're getting to their car, they see that, that the car is filled with all these balloons. And um, 
And sorry, I just had something pop in my head for <laughs> for a sequence that happens later on the film. We'll talk about that in the spoiler section. Um, but as they're walking to their car and they see the cars filled with balloons, they look over and Gags is there. And uh, the guy that has all the powder on him is kind of yelling at him and going, oh, this is ridiculous. Why are you doing this? You know, you're a jerk, all that stuff. And um, uh, they decide that they are going to leave. And as they're leaving, he starts coughing up blood in his hands. And events happen. Um, not wanting to really spoil that until we get to the spoiler section. But we see him later on, the guy that got covered in the dust, um, or in the powder, we see him kind of later on in a couple different points throughout the, the film at varying stages of disarray. And by one point near the, near the climax of the film, we see he is mutilated himself. Um, he's cut off his nose. He is dug in, um, basically like diamonds on, above and under his eyes to like kind of match like a clown. Um, so, and, and in fact, at one point he gets shot and he gets up and he, and he disappears. Um, so it, it really is very interesting. Um, we don't really, and this is my, I think my big complaint about the movie. Cause overall I kind of, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I liked the characters and I liked, uh, some of the effects that they did, but they don't really give you an explanation. They kind of give you one, um, near the beginning of the film when Heather, uh, is interviewing the antique store owner, um, but it's still not enough of an explanation of like wh- who Gags is and why he's doing this. So um, I wish that there would have been a little bit more background uh, for Gags. We, we just they didn't have to give us everything. They didn't have to come out and like hold us by the hand and tell us, oh, it's this, 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 this. But I kind of wish that they would have given us more of a backstory, especially when we get to the climax of the film and they enter into the tent. Um, we see some things and we don't understand what's going on. And I I just wish that that would have been explained more. Um, so overall, I really liked the film. I liked the work that they did with it. They did great camera work. Um, the, some of the characters didn't work for me. I, I would say Sarah, uh, the teenager was not um, very captivating for me. I found her very grating and very annoying. But I liked Chris, um, the the kid that's pranking everybody and dressing like um, gags. Uh, I, although except for the, I did not care for the um, silence of the lamb scene that they kind of did with him uh, earlier on in the film. But I, I did like the actor and I did like his character. Um, he felt real and he felt genuine. Whereas Sarah just kind of felt like she was just a nagging nag. Like it just she didn't she didn't really provide anything. And she ultimately has kind of no purpose for the overall film. I mean, she serves some purpose, but it just wasn't as big as what I would have assumed that it was going into it. Um, uh, The podcaster, he's kind of fun and annoying at the same time. I liked the actor playing him. Uh, his story kind of plays out in a way that is very predictable, but, um, I I still liked it, but his kind of wingman, the guy that's helping him with this podcast, uh, was, was a little bit annoying as well. Uh, the cops were, were great. And I think the newscaster and uh, her cameraman were, were great, um, characters in the film. And so, 
there's not much else I have to say about it without going into spoilers. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give you my review score and then we'll talk spoilers to where you can stop the podcast and, and watch the film if you want or, um, you know, if you don't want anything spoiled. So my score, I think, is going to be a 3.5 out of 5. Um, a lot of it just being some of those characters didn't really work for me. Um, the camera work was fantastic. Uh, I think the writing was really good for some of the characters. Like like I said, Sarah was not really um, well-rounded enough. She the I, I don't know, maybe maybe it was the actress and not the the character itself. Um, But I didn't really care for the actress. She just was very grating, uh, complained all the time and just didn't have any kind of redeeming qualities about herself. Now, a little bit she does near the end, but it it still just it didn't work for me. Um, And like I said, the the other podcaster guy, he was a little bit annoying, especially when it got towards the end of the film. Um, But other than that, like I liked a lot of the camera work. Uh, uh, the cinematography was really good. I liked the effects that they did. Um, and I, I still would say out of found footage, especially indie found footage horror films, this one definitely kind of stands above some of the other ones, um, especially ones that you would find on Amazon because there's a whole range of quality. And I watch pretty much all of them. And, and I, to an extent, enjoy all of them. But uh, I, I did I did like this. Um, if I can find it on Blu-ray, I will probably purchase it because, uh, like I said, there were elements of like the Bay and, and I really liked the Bay, um, that were in this film and that I, that really make, made me enjoy it more. And like, you really get the feeling of the town. Like you see a lot of the town, you see a lot of the people interacting within the town. So it, the, the realism factor is, is very high with this one. Um, in the sense of feeling like this is a real world event going on, not so much on the supernatural end, but all right. So that's going to end it for the review portion of it. Now I'm going to go into spoilers. So, uh, if you're not sticking around for spoilers, thank you for sticking around so far. Um, please share the word about the podcast, uh, share it around. You can follow us on Podbean, on Spotify, on Google play, on Apple iTunes. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Critics and T Cynics. We just crossed 1,900 followers, so that's a pretty big deal. Uh, if we can get 100 more across the 2,000 follower line, I think we're going to be doing a giveaway. Um, and uh, what else is there? Uh, if you haven't reviewed or uh, rated the podcast on iTunes, please head over there. Um, we're trying to do uh, become. Rotten Tomato approved critics. So we're kind of got a goal line. Um, you know, we've still, we'll have another year cause we're going to reach our first year here at the end of March. And, uh, so we'll still have another year to go before we get our two years under our belts, but we need to kind of gain up a following, uh, more of a following. And we need to have more kind of reviews, uh, written about the podcast, about what you guys think about it. Uh, always you can write into the podcast at critics, not cynics at gmail.com. Uh, pretty soon I think we're going to start doing screeners again. I've been getting a whole bunch of them and I think I'm finally doing a, a cutoff point going, okay, I'm starting here. All the ones before nope, but going on from here, um, I'd like to do at least one screener a month or at least two screeners a month, maybe. Um, so 
that's in the works. Um, and I don't think that's it. Uh, or I think that's it, uh, rather. And so I'm going to go ahead and move on the spoilers. If you guys aren't sticking around, we'll see you next week. All right. So one thing that while talking about this here on the podcast that kind of came to my mind is at the very beginning, um, when we have the trio and they're um, stuck in the parking garage and uh, the one guy is covered and he's you know coughing up and he kind of passes out. Uh, then you have the guy in the back seat who's filming everything is um is uh you know gets out of gets out of the car and ends up on the ground the girl goes running off um now we don't see anything we just hear him kind of talking and he goes it's me it's me and then this explosion and we just see blood go all over the side of this car now where the end of the film takes place of heather is running out of the building she's the only one kind of left from everyone that entered into it. Uh, we have the other kind of competing news crew outside and they're getting ready to set up and they see her. And so that cameraman is following her and gags ends up in front of Heather and he's got his balloons and he lets go of his balloons. The cameraman pans up and he pans back down. And now gags is holding a balloon version of Heather and he gives it to Heather and she, and then he disappears. And, uh, she starts uncontrollably laughing and I, I saw this coming. Um, and, but I, I was still kind of surprised. Um, but she explodes like the bloom pops and she pops. And then it made me realize as we were talking about this for the review, that that's exactly what happened to the guy at the very beginning. Cause he goes, it's me. Oh, it's me. And then pop. Um, now as to, how that all happens or how gags is able to do that. What gags is none of that's explained. So that's why I kind of had a, a little umbrage with, um, with what they did with gags. Like they, they left too much mystery in there without giving us enough explanation, but overall I like the film. Uh, but I, I, and, and that's another thing too, like with what this kind of bothered me is the powder being, they analyze and it's like bath salts, um, but it's having a kind of virus like effect on the people and how they disappear from the hospital, why they're all cutting themselves up to look like clowns, why they're all there at the, at the uh, tent in the building. Uh, none of that is really explained. And I kind of wish it had been more explained. Um, why was Gags doing this? Why was he making them clowns? If he's supernatural, why is he using a, a real world component or a real world drug to uh, gather victims or to gather this kind of um, following, uh, clown following? I, I, that's stuff that needed to be explained a little bit more. But overall, I enjoyed the movie. And thank you guys for sticking around.